Hello and welcome to episode 19 of the Highland Bridge Builders podcast. This is Kyle Fagala. Today we are finally starting a new series, and I say finally because we did nine parts on Galatians, and now we're moving into a series on a book called The Attributes of God. So we're going to be looking at things that are unique to God and characteristics of God, you could say. This is a classic uh, theological book by A.W. Tozer. If you're not familiar with it, you can pick that book up. Today, Grant is going to look at the first of those two attributes. This is Grant Dasher, always does an excellent job, dentist by day, theologian by night. Let's give a warm round of applause for Grant. Is that possible via podcast? I don't know, but here's Grant. Okay. I'm going to put this in my pocket. All right, so Kyle mentioned we're going through the book, uh, The Attributes of God by A.W. Tozer. And I do think he has been super influential on, um, you know, kind of 20th and 21st century theology and a lot of uh, pastors and ministers. And so uh, kind of a big name, I guess, if you are in the... um, the academic side of, of, of theology. Uh, I want to start out with Colossians 3, a verse from Colossians 3. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn, you can turn to Colossians 3 or flip through your phone. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. And it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So there are a lot of like great words there if you break that down. Um, I know that Chris has talked about Lectio Divina, where you like, you, you just focus on a small bit of scripture for a long period of time, and you meditate on it. This is one of those scriptures that I think would be good to do that with. But I just want you to, for a second, close your eyes. I know it's a little cheesy. You know, just, just bear with me. Close your eyes. And I want you to think about what it is in your life that is bringing you the greatest amount of anxiety. So just bring that thing to your mind. Maybe it's your student loan payment, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your singleness, loneliness. Maybe it's your parenting. Maybe it's some hidden sin that no one else knows about. Maybe it's an illness. Whatever it is, focus in on that thing that brings you the greatest amount of anxiety, where it's all you see. And then, in your mind, look up from that source of anxiety toward Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, and just picture the Father with the Son next to Him. And they don't have this disapproving scowl on their face. They're just happy. They're just happy to see you. So you can open your eyes. Paul says here in Colossians that we need to detach our minds from the world and look to heaven. He says that when we're baptized, we die to the world what I think about, I think about that line in, in a lot of movies, um, mo- mostly terrible movies, but I think about that line in movies where character A is, a is appealing to character B's good nature, and character B replies, that person is dead, like, right? It's mostly probably in like uh, soap operas. Yeah, that, that person is dead. And I think this is Paul's point here. When we look back to who we were before we were buried, 
and raised with Christ through baptism, what we see is a person who is no longer alive. That person is dead, and now a new person lives. So all the things that cause anxiety in our lives, whatever you were just thinking about, whether it's the result of continuous sin or if it's some yoke of performance, which I think is huge for us now in, in, in you know, 21st century social media-driven America, this yoke of performance that we've placed on ourselves, Paul says, don't focus on that. He says, that's all dead. So you say, well, yeah, but I'm still sinning. Uh, yeah, I still feel like I'm good and not good enough. Yeah, I'm still completely consumed by my career. I still feel like a failure as a parent. Um, what other one did Jessica mention? Um, whatever it is, like whatever you're struggling with, yeah, I still, I still deal with all of that. The one thing that all of these things have in common is that they're all temporal. So my sin, my feelings, my career, they're all bound up in space and time. They're, they are worldly. And Paul says that our minds need to be otherworldly. So the way to be free, Paul says, from all the anxieties and trouble in our lives is to look upward and trust that our lives really are hidden with Christ in God. So I don't think that's easy. At least it's not for me. Um, but is it easier? Think about this. Is it easier to look to God and trust Him when we know His character? So like if we're looking down, focusing on, our, on whatever we're anxious about, our sin, our failures, this yoke of performance, and that's all we see so much of our lives, is it easier to look up from that and see God when we know His character? So if we know who He is and what He's about, does it become less difficult to look up? So A.W. Tozer who died several decades ago, he wrote a book that sought to answer the question of who is God. The book's entitled The Attributes of God. And I would guess that he wrote this book hoping that it would make it easier for people to look up. You know, if, if we know who God is and we know what his attributes are, maybe it's easier to look up from whatever is completely consuming us. Again, if we know who God is and what he's about, does it become easier to look to him? And on the flip side, do we struggle to look to heaven because we don't really know anything about God, right? Like, do, do I struggle to look up because, like, I don't even know what I would see when I look? I'm just like, oh, bearded guy, I don't know, you know? Is it hard to look up because we don't know anything about God? So hopefully in this series we can answer some of those questions, or to Tozer can answer some of those questions. Today will be in chapters 1 and 2, God's infinitude and His immensity. So infinitude is not a word that I ever used until we studied this a couple years ago. Um, I, I think it just means like the magnitude of His infinite nature. That's what I would say maybe. Um, but so I'm going to use that word a lot. I know it's a weird word. I'm just going to use it because that's the, that's the word that Tozer uses. So this is God's limitless nature. He's not bound by space and time. So he's not confined to a certain area, and he's not living in some period of time. So uh, I was laying in bed with Van uh, several months ago, and, and we were talking, and I said, Van, I said, Have you, I said, where were you before you were born? And she was like, well, I, I was in heaven. And I said, no, you weren't in heaven. I, was like, I said, where were you? And she gets this like confused look on her face. She's like, I don't know. And I said, you didn't exist. 
and like it, I could see this like this uh, almost not terror but like complete confusion she's like well how is that possible I said you didn't exist and uh, I said how did you start existing and she said well I was born and I said well how were you born she said God God made me and that's how we all are right like we went from not existing to existing because God caused us to exist. But he's not like us. God's not. He is, he's been called the uncaused cause. So nobody made God. He didn't begin to exist. His existence is infinite. And what we want to look at specifically today, I think the practical nature of understanding this, is now that we've died and our life is hidden with Christ in God, how are we participating in that infinitude, that, limit, that limitlessness? So there's something a- active happening. This isn't just some pie-in-the-sky thought. Let's, let's just think about how, how infinite God is. There's something active happening to us when we participate in that infinitude. So we're with Christ, Colossians says. We're with Christ, and we're in God. That means that we have access to His infinitude. So when we view heaven, how do we view it? Just throw it out there. What do y'all think? Typically. Cloudy. Cloudy. But like beautiful clouds, right? Yeah. Not like overcast. Yeah. Cumulus. Yeah. Cumulonimbus. Yes. No, those are thunderstorms. Just cumulus. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Sorry. Well, sorry to correct you. How else? Clouds. Streets of gold. Anybody have a different view of Blue heaven? Skies. Blue skies and rainbows, sunbeams from heaven. Um, anybody else? Like, what just what what picture just pops into your mind real, really quickly? People like it's bright. People dressed in white. You said shiny. Light. Yeah, light. Paul like a bouncer. You said Paul like a bouncer at the game. Yeah, that's right. That's right. He's really ripped and not letting anybody in, um, unless you've got the password, <laughs> which is faith. Yeah. Okay. So some of that's good, and some of it's probably not good. You know. Um, Streets of Gold, maybe a mansion on the hilltop. Uh, if, you, if you go to, what's the dude in Houston? What's his name? Joel. If you go to Joel Osteen's church, that's what they're preaching. Uh, mansion on the hilltop, that's what you get. Uh, we sing that song. Uh, maybe we're in a place like Yosemite. We never get too cold or too hot. We're catching a limited trout. Is that, what, is that what you're picturing maybe? Yeah, that's what I think of heaven. I'm like, I'm just like there in this beautiful field, this stream running through the mountains, and I'm catching fish. Um, which probably is not accurate, right? Um, listen to what Lady Julian of Norwich, I've never heard of until I read this book. Y'all know, you guys know Lady Julian. Um, listen to what she said. Lady Julian of Norwich, where did I, where did I, oh, here it is. She said, suddenly the Trinity filled my heart with joy, and I understood that so it shall be in heaven without end. So, Lady Julian makes the point that heaven is unceasing joy. There's no lull. It's, a, it's unceasing joy in relationship with the Trinity. So you could say infinite or limitless joy in relationship with the Trinity. So how do we begin to conceptualize the Trinity, right? Well, it's like an apple. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, it's not like an apple. Um, how do we begin to conceptualize the Trinity? Lady Julian said, where Jesus appeareth, the blessed Trinity is understood. So in common English, if you want to understand the Trinity, you look to the person of the Trinity, which is Jesus. 
Jesus himself said, whoever has seen me has seen who? The Father, right? So to understand Jesus is to understand the Trinity because Jesus is, and this is beautiful, Jesus is one with the Trinity. John 17 says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So what do you see in that scripture right there about the relationship of the Father and Son? They are what? What did it just say? They're one, right? The Father is in Jesus and Jesus is in the Father. They are in one. But you also see an invitation that comes through belief, through faith, for us to be one with the Father and the Son. 1 John 4 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god this is huge whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god abides in him and he in god right so we know that the Father and the Son are one, and now we see that the Spirit, the Father, and the Son are one, and that whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God receives what? If you confess that Jesus is the Son of God, what will happen? Does anybody hear it? He will abide in us. And not, not just He will abide in us, but we will also abide in Him. So if the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are one, and God abides in us, and we in Him when we confess, what does that say about our relationship? With the, with the Trinity. We're one, right? We're one with, with the Trinity. It's like we're the fourth member, right? Maybe, I don't know. But we are one with the Trinity. There is this oneness that we experience with the Trinity when we confess that Jesus is Lord. So now, go back and, and remember how we view salvation or how we view heaven and think about how low our expectations are, Right? Like, I'm thinking of a mansion or even Yosemite. Like, I'm thinking of the, the created rather than the creator. I'm thinking of, like, uh, uh, trout and, like, amber waves of grain. Or, you know, I don't know. But I'm just thinking of something beautiful rather than the one who made that something that was beautiful. Gold streets, clouds. I'm thinking of the creation. It's like, I'm just thinking of, like, the best possible scenario of earth. That's what I'm thinking about. It's like, that's what heaven is. But that's not heaven. Heaven is, is God. It's oneness with the triune God. Listen to what Tozer says, and this is awesome. He says, The church will come out of her doldrums when we find out that salvation is not a light bulb only. In other words, my eyes are now opened. That it is not an insurance policy against hell only, but that it is a gateway into God and that God is all that we would have and can desire. So in other words, when we confess that Jesus is Lord and we put our faith in him, what we, what we receive is oneness with God so that we are part of something infinite and, and limitless. Tozer says Christianity is a gateway into God. And then when you get into God with Christ in God, then you are on a journey into infinity, into infinitude. 
So think about the limitless nature of what we tap into when we receive oneness with God. When we're one with God, what are we tapping into? Like what are what are the limitless things that we're that we're receiving? Immortality. Immortality. So life, limit, limitless life. Yeah. Yeah, the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, I want limitless peace. I want that in my life, you know. Um, joy. I want to be, I, I want to have infinite joy that never ends. Um, what else? Think about all the, maybe think of it this way. Like, what are the things in your life that are limited? Time. Time. Yep. So limitless time, limitless power. Think about all the things that have, have power over you, and you, have, you can tap into this limitless or this infinite power. So thinking about God this way, I, I think is hard. Thinking about anything that's infinite and limitless is, I mean, maybe it's impossible, but it's, at the very least, it's hard. Because everything we experience is finite, and everything we experience is limited. It's, everything's bound by space and time. And then, on top of that, not only are we supposed to think about something that's infinite and limited, or, or limitless, then we try to think about us being one with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one with that infinitude. And I think that's even harder to do. It's even harder to fathom like how I am one with infinitude. But this is, Paul, Paul says, the antidote to that feeling that you've kind of reached the end of what God has to offer. I know that I felt that way in my life. You kind of reach the end of what he has to offer, at least until we die. You know, I've been baptized. Now I'm basically going to just try to live a good life. Um, I'll die. They'll either cremate me or bury me in a hole. Then I'll go to heaven. I'll have a mansion on the hilltop, and I'll live happily ever after and catch lots of trout, right? And it'll be perfect. Tozer calls this a utilitarian view of God, that God has given us these things that we need, and he'll just continue to provide them in heaven. The truth, he says, is much deeper and much more meaningful than that. So when you start to realize that you've become one with an infinite, eternal, limitless being, think about what you're tapping into. This means that every day you're alive, there's something new that God can reveal to you. Uh, new mercies every day. There's something new about himself because there's, there's no limit to who he is. So every day we wake up and, and to in infinity in heaven, there will be something new that God can reveal to us. And then think about how that view, how that changes your view of who God is. How do y'all see God represented in culture? Like when you just, just pop culture, how is he represented? The judge. The judge. Okay. Like black robe, maybe stern face. You feel like we either go like on the one extreme, like the judge and the stern and Expectations, mm -hmm. you know, or we do like the totally chillax homeboy. Dude, you know, like, yeah, hey, man, that's right, man. that's right. Yeah, give me some nuts, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, yeah, he, home, the shirt Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah, yeah. Or the people that hate that shirt and like, no, he's a judge. You know, like, yeah, yeah. What else? Santa Claus, or like kind of just like a wish. 
Yeah. Um, William Lane Craig says, he calls it the cosmic bellhop in the sky. He's at our beck and call. Santa Claus giving us stuff that we want. Any other ones? Like Morgan Freeman is kind of like, like wise. Yes. Yeah, that's right. George Burns. Uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of stoic. Uh, just there, like offering wise words of wisdom. Yeah. Not relational, probably. Yeah. Just, just wise. Um, big man upstairs. He helps us win ball games. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for helping me win that ball game when we lose. I don't know if that's his fault or what, but um, homeboy, cosmic bellhop in the sky. Um, maybe even somebody that we can judge. He's a moral monster. How could he do that? How could he do what he did? I had a friend, and I've told you all this before. He's like, oh, I love uh, Jesus. It's God I have the problem with. And I'm like, well, it's theologically, you're a little off. But, um, but you know, and what he's referring to is God of the Old Testament. And like, like, like we're going to stand in judgment of, of God and who he is. But that's, that's, in pop culture, that's how we view God a lot of times, in all those different ways. This viewing God as infinite and limitless kind of turns all that on, his head, on its head in that we, can't, we know that we can't measure him. He's not measurable. He becomes a lot bigger than, than what we've made him out to be, and he's not contained within this little tiny box anymore. In fact, to say that he's bigger is not sufficient and probably the, the wrong use of language because if God's infinite, then he's not bigger. He, he's, he's immeasurable. We can't measure him. He just is, right? So you, you think back to how uh, Moses or God said to Moses, Moses was like, well, who do I tell the Israelites you are? And he says, well, just tell them I am. I am who I am. I am. He doesn't say, well, I'm 367 feet tall. I've got uh, black hair, a uh, loud, booming voice. Uh, he's not like trying to describe himself because like when, you, when God starts to try to describe himself, it, it's like language doesn't really do it because our language is limited. He says, I am. That's all he says. He says, I am who I am. I am. He is the great I am. So Tozer goes on in chapter two of the book to discuss the immensity of God. This is a word that we probably understand a little more than infinitude. Um, I don't really know how to teach on something immeasurable. I know uh, it's, I was just thinking like, this is, this is an impossible task because words can't describe something immeasurable. And because our minds can't understand things that are immeasurable, all we're left to do is, is just compare. That's all we're left with is comparison. So um, on average, there are seven times 10 to the 27th power atoms in the average human body. So that, that number alone is beyond comprehension for me. I, I don't really comprehend the difference between 10 to the 27th power and 10 to the 28th power. I just know it's exponential and you add a zero. I feel like in my mind, like it might, it might as well be the same thing. I don't know. Maybe it's that 10 pounds of muscle that I really want to gain, you know? Um, the point is, even within our own bodies, there is this incredibly huge number. And yet, we're not even like a speck of dust in the vastness of the universe. There's, like, there's this massive number just contained within our bodies that is not even like measuring on any scale within the vastness of the universe. Recently, there was a lot of buzz in the news about two neutron stars colliding. Did y'all see this? Did anybody see this? You saw this? 
So they circled each other for 11 billion years. That's, they're just like circling and they're getting closer and closer and closer together until they collide and they created this incredible event that's never been witnessed before by humans. Two neutron stars colliding. And it's like, now we know how gold is made and platinum and all these heavy metals. And I don't know, it's, people were really nerding out over it. It was a huge deal in the scientific community. But the point is, um, or let me ask you this. Would anybody like to guess how long ago that happened? So we just, this happened like a month ago. We just viewed it happen like a month ago. But how long ago did the stars actually collide? Does anybody want to guess? Do you remember from the story? Do what? 100 million years. You're, you're so wise. You're so wise. Um, 130 million years. So they collide 130 million years ago. And that's how long it takes the light from the explosion to reach Earth. So think about that. Scientists were watching an explosion occur almost like in real time that happened 130 million years ago. That is unfathomable. That's crazy. So when, when that guy that's trying to break into my shed and steal all the tools that I borrowed from all my, all my neighbors <laughs> comes within range of my awesome like million lumen candle watt uh, lights that I've installed, it just blasts him, right? He doesn't have time to be like, oh, let me get out of the way of the light. It's like one minute it's dark, or one second it's dark, and that same second it's light. Like, it light just blasts so fast. And yet it took 130 million years for the light from this star collision to make it here. And that light is still traveling past Earth somewhere to some far and distant galaxy with aliens on it that are going to view it 130 million years from now, right? Probably not. But the point is that there's a lot of space out there. The universe is so big and so complex that the top astronomer, the Astronomer Royale, I guess is how it's pronounced. I don't know. I'm going to assume that. I got that from uh, a 007 movie. Um, the Astronomer Royale in Britain, he said that our brains aren't capable of understanding the complexity of the universe fully. So I thought it was kind of funny when I read that. I was like, like the, the title of the article might as well have been like, top astronomer explained something we already know, right? <laughs> like, like, uh, just like, like, of course we're not gonna understand this fully. I mean, you're like, you're so smart, but you're so dumb. Um, he, he says, just as a fish may be barely aware of the medium in which it lives and swims, so the microstructure of empty space could be far too complex for unaided human brains. So we, we can compare atoms to human bodies to the distance between neutron stars and Earth, and we're still coming up short. Like it doesn't suffice. It, it's not good enough. That's because God is immeasurable. He can't com be compared to anything for any sort of reference because every time you compare him to something, the thing that you're comparing him to is contained within him. So how can you compare something that's contained within something to the thing itself? That's, that doesn't make any sense. So listen to how Tozer puts it. He says, God is above all things, beneath all things, outside of all things, and inside of all things. God is above, but he is not pushed up. He is beneath, but he is not pressed down. He is outside, but he is not excluded. He is inside, but he is not confined. God is above all things presiding, beneath all things sustaining, outside of all things embracing, and inside of all things filling. That is the eminence of God. Now, with that picture of God in your mind, 
think back again to that, that source of anxiety in your life. So the thing that you were looking at initially that you feel like may be consuming you. Again, a hidden sin, um, your feelings of insufficiency as a parent or your feelings of insufficiency as a Christian or uh, maybe it's your appearance. Whatever it is that, is that is the greatest source of anxiety in your life, and then think, why are we afraid of anything? It's, it's like it's crazy. You know, God is enormous. That, and that word is silly, right? He's huge. And not only that, He is for us. He's not against us. One of my favorite uh, kids' books is The Gruffalo. You remember The Gruffalo? It's great. It has a great little... Uh, short story movie that goes with it. Um, but in the book, this little mouse is traveling through the woods when he comes across one by one these animals who want to eat him. And the mouse, picking up on that, says each time, oh, I'm, uh, I'm actually here. I'm meeting someone for lunch. I'm here to have lunch with a, with a gruffalo. And uh, you know, of course, the animals, they don't know what this fictional character is, this gruffalo. And uh, the Gruffalo, of course, is a fictional beast that the mouse has created in his mind to scare off these animals. And you think he's a fish, uh, you know, it, you think he's a fictional beast until, of course, the story continues. The mouse goes on to explain why a Gruffalo, didn't you know, he has terrible tusks and terrible claws and terrible teeth in his terrible jaws. He has knobbly knees and turned out toes and a poisonous wart at the end of his nose. His eyes are orange, his tongue is black. He has purple prickles all over his back, and the Gruffalo's favorite meal is always what? It's always that animal that's trying to eat him, right? So clever, so clever. And the mouse thinks he's clever until he comes upon, what do you know, a real-life Gruffalo, right? And the mouse, just before the Gruffalo's about to eat him, he convinces the Gruffalo to follow him throughout the forest to see just how terrified everyone is of this fierce mouse, right? But of course, the animals aren't really afraid of the mouse. Who are they afraid of? The Gruffalo, who's behind the mouse, right? The Gruffalo doesn't know this. You know, they're all terrified and they run off and the Gruffalo's thinking, well, man, this mouse must be pretty hardcore, you know? They're afraid of this huge Gruffalo whose favorite meal is roasted fox or owl ice cream or scrambled snake, right? It's great, it's a great story. But think about how confidently this mouse walks through the dangerous forest with the Gruffalo at his back. Now, the metaphor breaks down a little bit. You know, I'm not comparing God to like having knobbly knees or anything like that. But we are this small mouse traveling through a world that is looking to devour us at every turn. And if you don't believe that, like you have not lived long enough. The world is looking to devour us at every turn. We're surrounded by traps on the internet, traps in our families, traps at work, uh, traps in the church, right? We're surrounded by traps and heartache and difficulty, but there is this immense God that cares about little old us with our 7 times 10 to the 27th power atoms, he cares about us enough to send his son to die for us. And not only that, he is with us always. Unlike the Gruffalo, he's not following us around. He actually dwells inside of us. We are one with the triune God. 
going back to oneness, what do we have to fear? Like what, what can we not overcome? There is nothing that can destroy us now. Sin, sickness, financial issues, parenting issues, whatever it is, even death, the infinite and immense God that created the universe dwells in us and we are one with Him. What do we have to fear? We are no longer slaves to sin or to fear. We are children of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with a will. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I just want to finish with a couple questions. When you view God, do you view Him this way? And if not, do you think it limits you from, from participating in the limitless or in those limitless or immense attributes that we mentioned earlier, like love, joy, and peace, and power. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's hard to well, just out of fear to um, feel confident or express like that I've got God's power living inside me because we still fail and we still mess up. And so like hypocrisy or looking foolish or whatever, you know, just feeling like well the only way I can say that out loud is if I've got everything together. Mm. Which Does anybody else have, have trouble viewing God as, as <coughs> infinite and limitless and immense? Yeah, of course. I mean, the world we understand is the one that we focus on. So I think just like a child kind of sees their world as what exists either in their school or in the car or at home, that's all they really know of the world. I think we only know that, that which we focus on and think about we have you know super limited view of, of that and if if all we think about regarding God is you know a couple hours a week we just we, we, we lack a relationship but also sort of a an awareness of, of what he's doing or just like a child like they think that dinner comes to them because they deserve it or you know they don't they don't realize or it doesn't come because we deserve it don't deserve it yeah 
But I mean, even we don't even think about like the food that we eat, like where it's come from or what work has gone into it. We just kind of click on a click list and we go pick it up, you know. Mm. So I, yeah, I think that's definitely true of God. Um, kind of all the things that He's done and is doing, we don't we don't consider. And I say we, definitely me. How does that, the second part of the question is, how does that limit us from participating in those limitless and immense attributes? Because like if I believe that we're, I'm one with God, why, like, how does my view of God, like, why, is, why are we even talking about this? Like, why, why, how, does it, how does it limit um, us from participating in, in his uh, immensity and his, and his infinitude? Grant, I thought some about that in terms of how I pray. I think for most of my life, I've prayed to a God who's separate and apart from me, basically. Mm. I'm, like I'm kind of closing my eyes and trying to call him up on the phone, basically, mm. wherever he is. And you know, to go back to, to where you were beginning with the idea of Jesus abiding in us, so essentially this limitlessness and this power abiding in us has, has, has turned my prayer into more of an attentiveness to God inside. And so I I think God already abiding in me. A big part of my inability to participate in the limitless grace and mercy and love and compassion of God is due to my my, my struggle to embrace that that is dwelling within me already. Mm. You know, that it's not separate and apart. I don't have to span the distance mm. to, to reach that. That it's there readily offered. If I can just become aware of him there, I don't know if that helps. No, I think it does. I feel like a lot of times we're like scratching and clawing to try to do those things, to have those fruits. And it's like, I think maybe it's just more resting, which sounds counterintuitive, but um, just, just believing, resting, kind of pausing, kind of taking a step back. And the thing I thought about, too, is not only does He abide in us, but we are in Him. And that, that's something that I don't think about a lot. I've thought about the Spirit dwelling in me, but, but not a lot about me being in Him. Like, that's what oneness is. That's so different than how I grew up. I mean, I was praying to God. He was, like, way off, you know, way far away. And I'm asking Him, yeah, I'm asking Him to come down from on high. Anyone else? I think it's hard to try and reach that infinite God when you are so comfortable yourself where you are because when you're comfortable you don't necessarily feel you need that infiniteness of God and so it's mm. harder to seek out that God who gives you unending joy when you feel you already have joy or you feel you already are comfortable where you are and not needing to push yourself further Yeah, that that is uh, that's probably the scariest place to be at all. Is to just be comfortable and not realize what you're missing out on. Anyone else? So, how do we change our mind? That's I think that's a big question. Like, how do I how do I have this mind shift uh, where my mind changes from this view of God that is finite and limited to infinite and limitless. How do I, how do I even go down this road of beginning to think about God differently? 
think we have to step back and have a lower view of ourselves to start with. So we can't, I think our tendency as our society is to blow ourselves up and think of ourselves as the center of the universe and we have to kind of reframe the way we look at ourselves in the grand scheme of things to realize how insignificant we start as before God gives us worth. Mm. He's the one that that, that flows from. Mm. So humility. That's always a good place to start. I think we also have to, have to ask big questions. If we think of our faith as a, as a house, which is like super cliche, but the foundation for a lot of us has been laid by someone else. And so like all those bricks or cement, what well, I don't build houses, but <laughs> it's been laid by our parents or even our grandparents or people that, and so I think we have to go back and inspect kind of those foundational or presuppositional questions of who is God? Why am I here? You know, what is my place in the universe? And all these sort of questions. We typically are asking, you know, questions way down the line, like, you know, we're, we're focused on painting shutters or, you know, like hmm. changing the tiles on our ceiling or, you know, whatever. Um, but we need to really sort of inspect those initial questions and, and be not, not be afraid to ask big questions regularly that might shake kind of the foundation of our home. Anyone else? I think there's a, a discipline that has to go with the, along with all that because I think I understand and accept all of that except when I don't. Yeah. 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 It's pretty easy for us to all agree here in this room right now and believe it. Yeah. Well, I think you have to just allow the spirit to change it. Like, we're not going to physically do it ourselves ever. Mm. I've been praying a lot, God, just show me your glory. I used to hear things like that and be like, what does that even mean? That sounds ridiculous. Um, but like, God, show me your glory. Like, would, why, would he not answer that prayer? Like, would he not? Would he be like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not going to show you my glory. Uh, keeping that to myself. Um, yeah, I'm relying on God, like, to do it. And I think sometimes that means we have to extend ourselves beyond what's comfortable, beyond what we can personally control so that we really feel the need to allow God to step in. I think a lot of times we're just like in our lane, you know, like not willing to get out of it because we can't control things outside of it. But I think that the more you push yourself kind of into those other lanes of life, I think you start to feel this is God who's making this work. It's not me. I can't control this. Anyone else? So I, I, I think, like, I love what you said, Peter. Starting with humility, like, you just pray. Like, you just talk to God. Um, I, I, and I, and there, that does take discipline. Like, it takes discipline to step outside of your comfort zone. It's not easy. Like, it's not easy to step outside of your comfort zone, pray, and then trust God. Like, I... I I've learned things about that, and especially in the past year of our life, that I, I didn't, um, I'd spent most of my life just being really, I was kind of in a groove, you know, and, and if I wanted to do something, I did it, and I accomplished it, and, and um, there weren't a lot of setbacks, you know. But just stepping out on faith, being willing to be uncomfortable, and then in prayer, 
petitioning to God for these things, asking God to show you his glory. I, I don't think he's going to withhold those things from us. I really don't. Um, but I do. I, I think it starts with humility. And I think sometimes it, just getting out of our own way is, is the issue. It's hard for us to get out, outside of our own minds and just let God work on our lives. Um, I, I just want to finish with this. I, I know, I think this series is going to, again, it's going to, there are going to be a lot of big words, a lot of uh, things that we're like, okay, this sounds, man, this sounds pie in the sky. This is, this is maybe way above where we should be. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily believe that. I think, I think through studying the attributes of God and, and through studying his nature, it allows us to kind of just rest in who he is. So you think back again, when you're, you're staring at your anxiety, whatever it is in your life that is just consuming you. And maybe it is as simple as just looking up, like looking up to God. I, I think I've spent a lot of my life making it far too complex, far too complicated. And maybe it really is just as simple as looking to God and praying to him in humility to completely guide you every single day of your life. Studying and in discipline, opening the word, looking, searching him out, and then relying on him. So um, that's all I got. So I want to thank Grant for doing a really outstanding job and getting us to think through some of these really massive issues and ideas. And, you know, I think this is what this class is supposed to be about, is asking really big questions, big, you know, kind of hairy questions, uh, questions that most people aren't comfortable with. Um, I think those are the sort of questions that God expects mature Christians to be asking uh, and, and to seek truth in places that aren't comfortable, that aren't easy, um, questions that, that ask things that aren't obvious, okay? I think the nature of who God is is not something that's obvious because it's both something we don't think about and it's both something that we, obviously, we cannot comprehend. And so I think asking those questions is, is really important. So I hope that this uh, has been fruitful for you this morning, listening to this. And uh, man, I'm really looking forward to the rest of this series. And so we'll be back next Sunday, 10 a.m., and then the podcast to follow shortly after that. Hope you have a very blessed week. Hope everything's going well for you. We will see you next time.